Chapter 5 of Among the Great Masters of the Drama. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Catherine Phipps. Among the Great Masters of the Drama by Walter Rowlands. Garrick. If powers of acting vast and unconfined, if fewest faults with greatest beauties joined, if strong expression and strange powers which lie within the magic circle of the eye, if feelings which few hearts like his can know, and which no face so well as his can show, deserve the preference, Garrick, take the chair, nor quit it till thou place an equal there. Churchill. Hogarth painted his good friend Garrick on several occasions. His best-known picture of the actor, a large canvas produced in 1746, represents him as Richard III. The portrait here given of Garrick and his wife shows him as a writer and was painted in 1757, about eight years after their marriage, and an equal time before the death of Hogarth, for whose monument in Chiswick Churchyard Garrick composed the epitaph. In this picture, the manuscript of his prologue to Foote's comedy of Taste lies before Garrick, who is attired in a blue coat, embroidered with gold, and a rose in his buttonhole. He appears to be speaking aloud, as if reciting the prologue on the stage, and is unconscious of the cautious approach of his wife, who reaches out her hand to take the pen from him. She wears a pink dress with a white fichu and lace sleeves, flowers in her unpowdered hair, and on her left wrist a pearl bracelet, which bears, set in diamonds, a miniature portrait of a lady, probably that of the Empress Maria Theresa, who had been her friend in Vienna, where, under the name of Eva Maria Violette, she was a celebrated dancer. Mademoiselle Violette came to London when she was about twenty years old, and by her dancing at the Haymarket instantly won success, and became the reigning queen of the art in England. Several romantic stories are told as to her origin and early life, but the real facts are unknown. At all events, she was befriended in England by the Earl and Countess of Burlington, who made her a handsome settlement on her marriage with Garrick, which took place in 1749, and turned out most happily. From the time of their union until the actor's death, a period of nearly thirty years, they were never apart twenty-four hours and for many years after Garrick's demise, his widow would not allow the room in which he died to be opened. Many tributes to her charms of mind and person are extant. Garrick's verse asserts, "'Tis not, my friend, her speaking face, her shape, her youth, her winning grace, have reached my heart, the fair one's mind, quick as her eyes, yet soft and kind, a gaiety with innocence, a soft address with manly sense, ravishing manners void of art, a cheerful, firm, yet feeling heart, beauty that charms all public gaze, and humble amid pomp and praise. She was called the most agreeable woman in England, and Horace Walpole, not easily pleased, said, Her behaviour is all sense and all sweetness. Stern protested that when he saw her walking in the garden of the Tuileries, she could annihilate all the beauties of Paris in a single turn. Garrick died in 1779 and was buried in Westminster Abbey, 
being the last actor there interred. The mourners, including such men as Burke, Gibbon, Dr. Johnson, Sir Joshua Reynolds, Sheridan, and Charles James Fox. To the same place followed, in 1822, his wife, who had survived him 43 years, and lies beside him. She is described as a little bowed-down old woman who went about leaning on a gold-headed cane, dressed in deep widow's mourning, and always talking of her dear Davy. Knight says, Her own death was curious. She was on the point of going to see some alterations made by Elliston in Drury Lane, and chit somewhat testily the maidservant who handed her a cup. Put it down, hussy. Do you think I cannot help myself? She said, tasted the tea, and expired. Some of Goldsmith's inimitable lines on Garrick refer to the great actor's vanity. Of praise a mere glutton, he swallowed what came, and the puff of a dunce, he mistook it for fame. This failing must have been strong in Garrick when he found his figure in Hogarth's picture lacking in dignity, and said so, whereupon the quick-tempered little painter is said to have drawn his brush across the face. Whether this be true or not, and it appears authentic, it is certain that the portrait remained in Hogarth's hands until his death, when his widow sent it to Garrick. At the sale of Mrs. Garrick's effects in 1823, it was sold for £75.11 shillings to Mr. E. W. Locker of Greenwich Hospital. His descendant, Frederick Locker, the London poet, says in My Confidences, This picture is so lifelike that as little children we were afraid of it, so much so that my mother persuaded my father to sell it to George the Fourth. It is now in the Royal Collection at Windsor. Few actors, if any, have served as often as Garrick for a painter's subject, both in character and out of it. Reynolds painted him more than once, notably in the splendid Garrick Between Tragedy and Comedy, and the names of the other artists who limbed him include Gainsborough, Zoffany, Pine, Hudson, Warledge, Leotard, Cochin, Pond, Heyman, and Dance. Sala says, Among the Hogarth anecdotes, few are so well known as that giving Garrick the credit for having sake for a posthumous portrait of Fielding, and by his extraordinary powers of facial mimicry, making up a capital model of his deceased friend. When this was told in Paris by de Laplace during a visit made by Garrick, some incredulity was expressed. To convince the most sceptical, the actor once more personated Fielding in a manner that won instant recognition. If this be true, Garrick must have surpassed as a mime that famous harlequin who used to imitate a man eating fruit, and from whose mere gestures and grimaces you could at once tell the fruit he was pretending to eat. Now he was pulling currants from the stalk, now sucking an orange, now biting an unripe pear, now swallowing a cherry, and now exhausting a gooseberry. Then there is the account of Garrick sitting to Hogarth for his own picture, and mischievously giving so many varied casts of expression to his countenance, that the painter at last threw down his brush in a pet and declared he could do no more. End of chapter 5